Hello and welcome to the Perlu Podcast, Influencer Marketing Reimagined, a podcast where we chat with influencer marketing professionals, social media influencers, bloggers, YouTubers, podcasters, you name it, about what has led to their success. Today we're speaking with a real social media guru, one of the early adopters of content strategy and social media marketing, Dave Peck. He's the head of social media and influencer marketing at Ring Central, and he's been an active contributor to integrated digital marketing strategy in online communities since 2004. I'm your host, Alexis Trammell. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Apologies for my nasally voice. I'm just coming off of a cold, but Dave's the guy you want to hear from anyway. If you like today's episode, we hope you sign up for Perlu to learn more about how you can grow your influencer marketing career. Before Ring Central, Dave Peck served as the CMO of Kind Financial, as well as the head of global social and influencer at PayPal, where he oversaw the company's social strategy and influencer relations, as well as leading the development and execution of integrated digital marketing. And earlier in his career, Dave helped build online communities and develop social media strategies for several major brands, including Coca-Cola, Wells Fargo, and the Grammys. He is also the author of Think Before You Engage, 100 Questions to Ask Before Starting a Social Media Marketing Campaign. Dave has been profiled or interviewed on CNBC, NBC, The Today Show, and USA Today for his social media, digital, and influencer marketing strategies. And we're thrilled that today he'll be sharing his influencer marketing insights with our Perlu members. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dave. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Alexis. How did you first get into content strategy and social media marketing? So that is a crazy long story. So I usually don't share this with people, but you've got to remember the influencer social space has only been around for, well, 13, 14 years now. So in my previous life, I was an insurance broker of all things. Yes, okay. that's right. An insurance broker became at one point the head of social and marketing at PayPal and Ringside. So... <laughs> The other thing to know about me is I have five children and my, when my twins were born, I would take the night shift and my wife would sleep and then we, you know, you pass off like you do. And I got involved with what I call the first wave of podcasts. People were trying to figure out how do you monetize it? How do you do something? This is before like Ricky Gervais had his podcast. It was called the pod father and things like that. And I listened to a podcast. I discovered I was hosted by a former MTV DJ named Adam Curry. And I'd listened to it for a while. And then I got bored and then I moved on. And then one night I was, I'm going to connect all these dots, by the way. There's a bunch of different stories that are all going to come together. Okay. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. So then I was reading one night an article about this thing called Second Life. And I don't know if you're familiar with Second Life. This is pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook. MySpace had just launched. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's a virtual world, kind of like The Sims. And so I'm like, I'm going to join this thing. So when you signed up, you got to pick your name. So I'm like, Hmm. So the magazine next to me, I never forget, was an Us magazine. Yes, I read this trash. <laughs> and it had Britney Spears on the cover. So I created a character named Britney Mason. I pretended to be a virtual woman on the internet. Now, today that seems more of a novelty. But back then, it was, it was a little early before it was more of a cliche. How about that? It's a better word. And so I went in there and started playing around and moving your avatar around and things like that. And I'm like, I'm just bored. You know, there's not a lot going on. A lot of bad things happening on there. You can use your imagination because you could be anyone or anything. All right. So now let's go back to the podcast, right? So I'm listening to the podcast and Adam Curry says, hey, I just discovered this world called Second Life. Come meet me. And I'm like, wait, I get to meet Adam Curry, this former MTV DJ and podcast host? And mind you, there's not a lot of podcasts at the time either. Mm-hmm. So 
I go in as Brittany and uh, I meet Adam Curry and I give him tips and tricks and think like how to build stuff. So the big currency there is selling virtual land. Let me okay. do an asterisk right there. Virtual land would later become what we know as virtual goods, right? Skins. When you're playing Fortnite, you buy skins and items like that. So this is like the early days of what that would become. So I start selling virtual land on behalf of Adam Curry. He gives me his credit card. How's this for the original catfish, right? He doesn't <laughs> know my name. He doesn't know I'm a guy. Oh, no. Well, I'm making $3,000 U.S. selling virtual land and keeping the profits because he doesn't want any of it. Oh, my goodness. So, right? Is this crazy? And so, so now what happens is all these podcasters who are working for his company, he owns a company called Podshow, I should point out at the time, come there to the virtual island called Podshow Island and start buying, buying land and I'm keeping the money. Well, then what would happen is Podshow had, now XM, let me back up again, XM Satellite launches now. This is, remember, it's 12 years ago, so it's a novelty. They have a channel called Podshow on there. So all these podcaster shows are being syndicated there. I know this gets a little confusing. And then, so what they would do is go back and go, I come find me on Pod Show Island with Brittany Mason. That's my avatar, right? So all these Pod Show people are, are talking about my avatar like it's a real person, like I'm a real woman and everything like that. There's no Skype. You can't video chat with Skype or any of that kind of stuff, mind you, at the time. Okay. So now what happens is all these brands start going, wait a second, what's going on here? Because we were calling it new media. It's not even called social. We didn't have the term social media. And so brands like Home Depot, Sears are building virtual buildings where you can buy a virtual dishwasher for your virtual house. Uh, Wells Fargo has an island called Stagecoach Island where you can learn about banking in a virtual world. Most bizarre thing in the world, right? <laughs> right. So Coke comes in and says, hey, we need help. Let's hire Brittany Mason. We've heard about her on satellite radio. So Coke hires me for my very first gig, not knowing I'm a guy, and I build out a campaign for them in a virtual world, designing like, what does your ultimate Coke bottle look like? Which then gets highlighted in, I think it was uh, Business Week, and things like that. And the avatar's name is mentioned. And they're paying me for this, mind you. Never <laughs> met me. I'm using my wife's uh, name when I have to write the checks, and they have to pay me, and her social security number for everything. Okay. Where's this going, Dave? So then what happens is stagecoach, Wells Fargo says, hey, we want help. Wells Fargo hires me. So I start building out these virtual worlds with what would become social strategies and things like that, right? So then I end up doing a project for Berkeley. And they're, I'm here in Silicon Valley. Berkeley's right across the bay here. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to tell them I'm a guy. So I tell them I'm a guy. I come over. I do some work for them. And life goes on, right? So I'm making a living doing all this and then she the young lady reaches out in December from Berkeley and says hey I got a friend who's doing a documentary and we'd love to highlight how does Second Life ramp up for the holidays I'm like okay so I get on the phone with the person and one of the few people in the boat my name is really Dave and we sit up talking they go like we want to change the whole documentary we want to do it on you and how you're making money and pretending to be a woman on the internet oh cool <laughs> I'm like okay like, we'd like to come over to your house next week and film. I'm like, okay. So now comes the best part. I got to tell my wife I've been pretending to be a woman on the internet because I'm coming to the house. Oh, no. I've told my wife this. <laughs> I'm, supposed to be selling, I'm supposed to be selling insurance during the day. So I, tell, I, I remember where I was and everything. I was standing in front of the TV and I said, hey, I got to tell you something. 
pretend to be a woman on the internet. She's like, what? But I have all the uncashed checks because I can't cash the checks because they're in her name. So I give her the checks. Well, that shuts up the conversation. We're done, right? So, so the next morning, an NBC news truck pulls up and Peter Alexander, the head of their, who's now the head of their um, political stuff, pulls up and walks to my house. I'm like, wait a second. I thought it was a documentary. Like, well, it was supposed to be, but now we're going to highlight you for the Today Show. Wow. Like, what? So they do a live broadcast. You know how they do the, on the Today Show, they do like three minutes of the segment, and then you can watch the whole thing next, next week on MSNBC or whatever. Yeah. So, so that's what it was. So they ended up doing, the documentary was on MSNBC. They highlighted me on the Today Show and then teased it with that. Okay. So my mind is blown, right? Because I thought it was just going to be some off, one-off documentary. Well, from there, I get highlighted. Emails just start flooding me. Wells Fargo, Stella McCartney, uh, Gucci, they're all the same brand. Sergio Rossi, more reality stars than you can shake a stick at and D-list celebrities whose names I won't say. But I've been working with bachelors and bachelorettes, big brother, survivor reality stars, tons of 80s stars, and just blowing up. It's just blowing up. Okay, so now we got to go back again. So remember that virtual world I'm in, right? Well, mm-hmm. all the geeks and nerds, and I say that with love because I'm a geek and nerd, they're off doing amazing things. One of them goes off and starts this little company called Twitter. A bunch of them go work at this company called Facebook. Some are working for what would become Twitch. One of my favorites is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Justine Israk, I, Justine? No. So she, she's the gal that got the phone bill that was had to be FedEx to her because it was so big. Oh, yes, I remember one of the One of the original YouTube stars. Uh, yeah. A huge thought leader, uh, Robert Scoble, Jeremiah Oyang, the founder of Vonage, uh, Jeff Pulver. It, the list just, I could name drop all day. Well, they all, everything's tied back to Second Life. It was one of the first social networks in a way, right? You could be anywhere in the world and connect. And that would later be what Twitter becomes, Facebook, right? So on and so on. So everything's happening. I get, like I said, I mentioned I worked up for Wells Fargo for a couple of years, Gucci. Uh, I ended up doing MTV, Ozzy Osbourne of all people. <laughs> uh, the list goes on and on and on. Till one day, PayPal comes along and says, makes me the offer I can't refuse to, to launch their social practice. And the reason why it was the um, offer you couldn't refuse is they have health insurance. Remember, I had five kids. My wife says, you're taking this job enough with the freelance yeah. to get health insurance benefits. <laughs> so I go to PayPal, I end up working there for about five and a half years, launching social, launching their influencer practice. And, and um, from there I leave. And then I'm always an early adopter. So I'm always looking for the next trend. So then I go to Kind Financial, which is a cannabis company, uh, but on the technology side. And then I left there and now I am at uh, Ring Central launching their social or reinvigorating their social project program and then launching their influential program. Wow. That is yeah. an insane story. It's, it all started with a little avatar named Brittany. So I wrote a book in 2008 <laughs> on social media marketing and I, the book is dedicated to Brittany. <laughs> this book is dedicated to Brittany. That is so. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And what great timing for you to have gotten into that and start monetizing that right at that time. Just dumb luck, and I love that I can always tie everything back to um, Second Life. And every now and then, I'll be at an event or a conference, and somebody will call them up and call me Brittany, who <laughs> who's, goes back to the days when we were in Second Life. They remember it. But oh it's gosh. fun how, like, 
I keep using the Fortnite example where you buy skins and it's been around for Call of Duty. Everybody's been doing it. But that all goes back to the original Second Life. That's where it kind of started in a way. And it's not me saying that. It's credited in other people's books and things like that. Or Twitter and Gmail and Skype with video. We'd all pass the alpha or beta invites around from that same little group. And we'd move as a pack. It's really, I'd love to do a white paper on it one day on <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm really bored on um, how we moved from Second Life to Twitter to Facebook. To, you know, it just goes on. Anything that would launch. I'm forgetting all these social networks that failed, but things like that, you know, Foursquare. That one of those guys, the founder of Foursquare was on Second Life with us. That's incredible. That is so crazy. It's weird. It's, it's weird how, how fast those things snowball too, whenever you just jump on it right at the right time. Yeah. So everything I said is probably within two years, right? Wow. If not a year and a half, right? From being a, a simple insurance agent to speaking at conferences on social media or one of the original 140 Twitter conferences I spoke at back in the day. So on Twitter, they used to have recommended users mm -hmm. in the corner or, and when you signed up, they would force users on you, like people to follow. So the, I saw the screenshot in the right-hand corner where it's me, a guy named, I don't know if you know, Leo Laporte, who's still got a radio show, Twit TV and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Used to be on the CNET network. And then, um, oh, Al Gore. <laughs> so I'm with Al Gore. This makes no sense, right? <laughs> but, you know, Ashton Kutcher hadn't joined Twitter yet, doing the race with CNN to a million people. I mean, we're just, like you said, it snowballed. We're early adopters. And, you know, anytime a new app comes today or a new network, I'm always joining early just to check it out, you know? TikTok, right? I've been on that for, God, close to probably a year now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I shouldn't be on it. I'm not the demo. But I like <laughs> to find ways. I like to look at that stuff and figure out how can I use it in business, right? Right. How, those, you know, connecting the dots, strategy. Definitely, definitely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, big perk of being an early adopter. So you've been in this industry for 15 years now. So how have you seen the influencer marketing world evolve since then? Well, first coining the phrase would be one, right? It didn't exist. It's really evolved with brands, right? Brands have figured out that, hey, we need to get to, we need to hire these people to evangelize for us. And it used to be they would just throw tens of thousands of dollars. I'm just forgetting all the names of these different companies. It used to be companies that would hook you up with influencers and things like that. You could just send them on their platforms and send the request to do it. Now it's more of a one-to-one -one relationship where someone will introduce you to them. And now agencies like CAA has gotten involved and things like that where they have it. And then it's definitely gone from you've got a million followers. I want to give you $1,000 to yeah, you got a million followers, but can I see your data and do they engage and how many clicks do I get? There's a lot more measurement than there used to be. It was almost, it was free money back in the day, right? You just throw money and, oh yeah, they tweeted it out. I must've gotten something. And now it's all about measurement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I can't say that enough times. I see it more and more when they're hiring for like head of social or social media manager. They want to hear in that interview that you measure data and you're working with data where even five years ago, they wouldn't say that. Right. I, I think that's a huge thing there. And then this is an old term, but I still think it's applicable today is the rise of the micro influencer, right? Or the hyper local, as I like to say, where I'd rather have a, a work with an influencer who's got a thousand followers that happens to be in fashion and gives me the data, like the, the clicks and 
Google Analytics and Bitly's that show people are engaging with your content than versus someone with a million people who take no action. You right. know, or they're all, yeah, I want, or a hundred, or you have a hundred followers, but they all happen to be CEOs. You know, yeah. you, you don't, people don't see that. Don't, didn't do that even five years ago, I would say, or companies and brands. Yeah, that's a, that's a big shift there. And so on that topic, though, so can you tell us about a time when an influencer marketing program had a particularly excellent ROI and what contributed to that success? <sighs> yes. So I'm going to tell you when the same. This is another one. I tell too many of the same stories. So several years ago, I worked. We worked with an influencer who's really well known and on TV, and we did a campaign where he had we. Gave away like $50,000, long story short. Wow. So his job was to push out on his social network and get people to show up to that landing page and sign up, all right? So he pushes out all the content. And he's a wonderful guy. And he was wonderful to work with, and I still talk to him to this day. And he drove more traffic than we ever had to that landing page. And I got a pat on the back, a big thumbs up, and an award. You know, I couldn't have done better, okay? <laughs> I don't tell you that story to brag because here's the, I'm going to tell you the negative thing that happened. Um, that same campaign was also the least successful campaign for conversions. Wow. So I, so you can hire an influencer who like this guy who's amazing and they can drive all the people. But if your content sucks on the other end, there's nothing he can do about it. Cause they're like, we didn't get clicks. We got more traffic than ever. And I'm like, I don't control that landing page. He doesn't control that landing page. That's back on you. So you do what's called a postmortem afterwards, right? Right. And you look at it or a heat map and the sign up was in the top right. It was five clicks for the person to complete. It was too complicated. No. So the moral of the story is you can have the best influence in the world, the most successful campaign. But if the content on the other end, which you might usually don't control, it usually comes from someone within marketing, right? Or the SMB team or the enterprise team. The campaign won't work. So you need to have a seat at the table there. So I always like to point out with social and influencer people. You need to be part of that. You might just sit in the corner and mind your own business, but if you if you're held to that KPI, you need to be part of that process. And luckily I was not held to that KPI. Key uh, performance indicator, by the way. Yeah. I, I use a lot of acronyms, so feel free to stop me. No, yeah, that's a really great point. And I don't feel like anyone's brought that up on this show before that, you know. And, and the influencers don't have a say in how that landing page performs. And so that's, yep. wow, that's a very powerful story. Yeah. So when I, if, if I'm looking for a job or in between jobs or getting hired, I always say, I want to know what my, what am I being held to? Cause I don't want to be held to the landing pages. If you want to give it to me and I get to create it and run the team, that's a different story, but I don't have a say in it. And if it's not set up as well as it could be, or the content's not great there, that, how's that my fault? I did my job. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. Rah, I'm getting angry now. <laughs> Let's get fired up. So some marketers may say that there are two distinct ways that the brands perceive influencers. They see them as content creators and integrate them into their content strategies, perhaps through a blog or a video or photography. And then the second way is the brands want to tap into the influencers audiences like Instagrammers or celebrities. What are your thoughts on this differentiation? I'm more of a number two guy that the brands tap into influencers audiences. It drives me nuts. You might have a fancy title at a company, head of influencer marketing, right? Which means nothing. 
when you go to the grocery store, right? But people will come to me and go, hey, I just signed up Influencer XYZ. Here's the contract. Go make magic happen. Okay. After I get done yelling at them for signing a contract and not telling me about it, that's a whole other argument. But the contract <laughs> will not say anything about the influencer sharing the content to their audiences or hosting the, the content on their channels. I'm not paying you $50,000 to have you make me a YouTube video that lives on XYZ company's channel, right? I want it to live on your channel. I want to hit your audience. That's what you're paying for. Right. And so I'm definitely a, a, the second example you gave kind of guy. You could take that content maybe 30 days later, assuming that you own it. Another thing that needs to be in a contract, right? Because a lot of influencers will take it down after 30 days um, and put it on my YouTube channel or my blog later. But I want that aha moment or that I want to own that moment in time where it hits your network, hits your channel, you share it out. So I don't know why people don't do that all the time. It baffles me because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I'm talking to myself, right? I've already gotten people following me or engaging with me, right? Why would I, I, I want to get more audience share. I want to reach out to outside the bubble if I like to call it. Are you in favor of the brand resharing what the influencer already posted? Yeah, but I'd wait a few weeks or 30 days because then you get into SEO and weird stuff like that, right? With the same content. I want to wait 30 days, let them do their thing and then put it up on my channel while keeping it up on theirs. Cause I don't care about the SEO juice necessarily, but some people might, I personally am like, whatever, you know, cause the content will disappear anyway. You're just not, it's not gonna be impactful after a month or two. Okay. So yeah, I, I want my money to work harder and smarter, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to just pay for content. I want to pay for content and audience, right? If they're a thought leader or an influencer, I want them to evangelize on our behalf. Yeah. Yeah. So you spoke about this a little bit earlier. I'm curious, how do you decide when you should work with a micro-influencer and when you should work with a mega-influencer or celebrity? So not an easy answer, first of all. So I need to understand, so what does a win look like? So when the business unit, head of the unit comes over and says, here's what we want to do, I always consider myself to be like a shrink sometimes or a bartender, <laughs> I like to say. Well, because they'll say, we have this big campaign and we want... 30,000 people, 30,000 people to do what? Well, I want them to follow us. And then as you work through it, no, you really don't. You want them to engage with your content and sign up for something. It seems mm -hmm. so obvious, but it isn't. From there, I can say, okay, now I know what the call to action is, what you want, what a win looks like. Is it hyper-local or micro-influencers, you call it, or a celebrity, a big name? I, I need to look at the data like I mentioned before, right? So a lot of these influencers get really weird about it, but you need to show me some data points that people take action, engagement, right? A like, a share, a comment, a click, some sort of action is helps me do it. So someone came to me once in a, one of the companies I worked at and said, hey, we're doing this big campaign in Minnesota. It's from two to four on a Wednesday. I want to share it. I'm like, why would I share it to our 5 million followers? Do you think the person in India is going to hop on a plane? and come out to this obscure, you're not being, ta you need to be more tactical. That's where I would do a micro-influencer, right? You know, you can only engage with this opportunity in a certain time in a certain place. If it's an always on, or maybe a couple week thing, like I mentioned earlier with the, the one with the clicks, then you might want to go with a celebrity. The other thing that comes into play is budget, right? If, can I take that, if we already have the content, can I take what I would pay an influencer and put paid behind it and be very tactical 
and target the people I want? And will I get a great ROI return on my investment? Or can I take that same amount of money and go to a celebrity and do better? That's really my filter at the end of the day, but it's a process. I need to understand everything I said. Like, again, what is a win? What's the call to action? What are we measuring? What's the budget? It's a simple question, but not a simple answer, I know. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I feel like you you kind of touched on the answer to this next question, but when you're working with micro-influencers, the, the local, how do you choose who will be the right fit? Engagement. My, my measurement is always engagement. I don't care, like I said earlier, if you have a million followers. If they don't, they could all be my mom's friends and don't do anything versus somebody with a couple hundred and they all take action and they're all CEOs. I need to look at the audience to figure that out, right? And then see where it fits in. I, I love micro-influencers or hyper-local folks. I have no problem with it. Lots of audience is passionate. When do you know if influencer marketing is even the right tactic for a brand? Well, the first one would be budget. Of course. Uh, do, can they afford it? Well, it's funny. They, everyone still thinks social media is free in 2019. You know, it doesn't cost a thing. You know that, right? You just tweet it out and all these people will follow you and do what you want. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, so that's one. Two is, you know, what's the influencer content look like? Are they appropriate? Does it roll up to the brand's goals? Here's the biggest one. Can the brand wait for results? So just because I tweeted on a Monday doesn't mean the guy's going to show, show up on a Tuesday and sign up, right? Mm -hmm. It could take a while for the audiences to see the content. It could take a while for people to take action. Maybe they offer something they don't want right away. So you got to be able to have that tail at the end where you can wait a little bit versus um, paid marketing because that's usually the, uh, the um, competition, right? Between influencer versus paid is how I see it. And where you can get instant results and three things. They, got, they have to have the temperament to wait, you know, you got to work with the influencer, create the content, review the content, all those kinds of things. Yeah, that's fair. You've literally written a book about how to avoid costly mistakes in a social media marketing campaign. Could you speak to us about some of the common pitfalls you've seen in the influencer space specifically? Yes. And quick side note. So when I worked at PayPal, I had this, my boss would always go in the room and goes, he wrote the, you know, he wrote the book on social marketing. And I always had to say, literally, that was like <laughs> the running joke, literally. And by the way, the book is outdated. Don't read it. It's like so old. It's not even funny. <laughs> um, so one would be what I said earlier, the contracts. People aren't putting the right things in the contracts. They're not, you know, how long does the content live on the influencers channels? Does it live on the influencers channels? That's my biggest red flag. I can't, I, I'd say out of eight out of 10 times I see influencer marketing, they don't put that in there. How many times is the influencer going to share it? Who owns the content? That's the other thing. I, most influencers don't let you own the content and then they take it down after a while. I, I don't think people realize that. So after 30 days, I usually see the content goes away, the brand relationship, because they might work with Coke on a Monday and 30 days later, they start working with Pepsi. And that drives me batty. So that's another thing is I, the influencers hate it. But if I'm paying them, a, if it's a big celebrity, like we mentioned, and I'm writing a big check, they should be able to work with a brand in our space for at least 90 days. Right. Yeah. Suck it up. I'm sorry. It's the way it is. But we're giving you a lot of money and I need to show some loyalty. And loyalty is another thing I like to bring up is I like to try to work with the same influencers over and over again. 
I don't want it to be a one and done in the contract. I want it to be like three or four moments in time that we're working together. And it might be over the course of a year. So this is not just a, a Monday contract. This is a 365 day contract. Yeah. And it, one, the influencer gets money and they know they're going to get money. They're going to work this brand again and we'll probably re-up if everything goes well. So that makes them want to create better content and, you know, evangelize more. And then the other thing that happens is the influencer will kind of, I'm going to call it a freebie for lack of a better term. So some of my favorite ones is they'll post stuff like throwback Thursday and they'll use that same content again. So I get another moment in time with that influencer and it didn't cost me a dime more than I already paid because they know that we're going to work with them and they're going to work with us. Those need to be in the contracts and there never are ever. What about copy and paste influencer marketing where you ask a billion influencers to say the same thing about your product? I like user generated content. So I would never ask them to say the same thing. I would give them, I'd work with them and show, here's our brand book. Here's what we stand for. Here's that we see ourselves as collaborative or something like that. Go forth and make the content. Hopefully they throw those words in there and they're smart enough to use the brand book, right? But I would never force it upon them. I don't want to review their content either. I want it to just be natural. So one of them, his name was, he's a Snapchatter. I think he's still around. His name was Sean Duris or is Sean Duris. And he was an early Snapchatter. One of the most pleasant experiences I've ever had working with an influencer. And so we walked with the brand and he came up with the idea. He says, what would people, this was a PayPal campaign. What would people do if PayPal didn't exist? How would they get their money? So this was around an event here in the Bay Area called Outside Lands in San Francisco. So this is pre-event. And so he reached out to it, he snapped it out to his followers and they all created these amazing videos. I still remember the one where the, a turtle had a dollar bill taped to his back and he's walking or someone would drop it with a rock outside a window and hope you catch it and things like that. And so all the, all of his community created their own content. They didn't hear from me, they heard from him, but he, and that's the stuff I love. I love, I'm getting excited talking about it. I, so I got to find the videos. It was really cool. So what is your best piece of advice you could give a brand that is trying to break into influencer marketing for the first time? Go small, work with a, what we call the micro influencer. You need to have your brand, what your brand stands for, what's your mission, you know, what's your goals of the campaign and work with them directly. I know there's always a middleman, but it's best that you work directly with them and get them on a phone for an hour and just walk them through. That's where I've seen the most success where they get to understand what you are trying to accomplish and what you stand for. So it comes across, right? Like again, with Sean Durris, he knew we had a sense of humor as a brand. So we didn't mind that. So you need to educate them on that and what the content you want and what it looks like. And I think I've said it twice now. I'll say it the time is don't get caught up on the million followers and 30 million followers measure engagement. You want to click, you want people to do something. You don't just want them to watch a YouTube video and walk away. You want them to go to a landing page, have all your, mar your uh, measurements set up, Bitly's, Google Analytics, make sure the influencers are using the same tools as well. So you can get that on a nice pretty wrap up report at the end. Cause this is a business we're in. There's money changing hands and we need to have a return on our investment. It's not always about awareness. I'm big on awareness, but it's not always about awareness. Absolutely. And so how do you scale that with so many micro influencers you may be working with? 
So I will use an agency usually to help manage or have someone internally. You own the influencer relationships, which is really fun, by the way. It's a great job to have if you ever get it. And working with each one of them and answering their questions, identifying them ahead of time. Because usually an agency or a company will come back and say, here's 20 influencers, get it down to 10. And they'll go through it and help scale it that way so you're not biting off more than you can chew. And just working with, and then just starting small and working out. So if you work with that one person for a few months, you're comfortable at another person. Don't try to blow the ocean, you know? Right. And then reviewing all the content. So it's a slow thing compared to paid media, like I mentioned earlier. You got to have the appetite to build something for the future. What is the funniest or most memorable experience that you could share about your interactions you've had with influencers in the past? So one of the fun ones I had was working with Damon John from Shark Tank. Oh. And we did a mock Shark Tank at South by Southwest, if you're familiar with that event. He was amazing, amazing to work with. And we actually, that's an example of one where we worked with over the course of a couple of years. I used him again and again because he was easy to work with and he was fun. So we are at South. So prior to South by, we did this campaign called uh, PayPal Duel, where the, we get like six SMBs and they battle their way to come to South by on our dime and then present to Damon John. And it was a hoot and watching Damon do the whole Shark Tank thing in real time on stage and challenging the people. And so they had a sense of humor. It was one of the funnest things I've ever done. And then it worked out really well. Then Good Morning America came in. They broadcast live from the event because of Damon, right? And because it was just, I'm going to use a hoot. I'm going to say hoot again because it was the PayPal duel. Get it? Stagecoach, <laughs> duel, South by. Yeah, love that one. And there's probably many others that I'm forgetting with. I, I'm blessed to have worked with some amazing people and famous people and reality stars. And it's just crazy. That's it's so crazy. cool. So crazy. So where do you foresee uh, influencer marketing going in 2020? I think there's going to be a lot. I kept talking about measurement. I don't think we're done measuring it. I think the return on investment is really important to brands as budgets get tighter and you're competing for ad dollars. And I see it, that being the first problem that influencers need to make it easy for brands to measure. I think the second thing is going to be, you're going to see more of it, but as on a micro influencer scale, less Kim Kardashian, more Steve from down the street, but Steve's got the right connections in the right neighborhood that I want to be with, with the right type of goods that I want, I, be it fashion or electronics and things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's here to stay. I, I just think it will be a lot more measured and there might be a lot less influencers. I think it's funny. I keep seeing all my kids, friends, all starting YouTube channels and doing unboxing unboxing every one of them unboxes but none of them are successful and i think it, you're going to weed out the competition that way as an influencer yeah that's i want to be on batches in fashion makeup too the other ones all the girls do the makeup in the high schools like, come on so and then competition we kind of touched on it earlier going to networks as they launch like tiktok which is hot right now but as far as i've been concerned it's been around forever looking at those new platforms and getting there first to build out your audience. That's how you really win. First to platform. Great point. Well, Dave, this was such a pleasure speaking to you today, or should I call you Brittany? 
Oh, there you go. Yes, it's <laughs> fine. Very cute, Alexis. Cute. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. No problem. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you to everyone listening. We hope you really enjoyed hearing from Dave Peck today. If you like our show and are interested in what it takes to succeed in influencer marketing, check out our blog at blog.perlu.com for more podcasts and blog posts. And sign up for Perlu at perlu.com to meet, mingle, connect, collaborate, and grow your career. We hope you join us for our next installation of the Perlu podcast, Influencer Marketing Reimagined.